Over the last two weeks, I have been talking to you, especially on Sunday morning, about why the church has lost its relevance in the world, why it's not relevant in our culture. And I shared with you this morning as an introduction that article uh, that I read you about this group that's trying to find churches willing to let McDonald's be built inside the church, simply sharing that the church today has lost its relevance. How many churches have closed last year? How many Christians walked away from their faith last year? But over 70 billion people ate hamburgers, so surely if we had put hamburgers in the place, we could get some of those people back. That was a serious news article, serious issue. How strange that sounds to our ears, but how much that thought of innovation and entrepreneurship is coming to the church. That we have a product to sell, and all we need to do is overcome consumer resistance and sell a better product. It's strange to, to our ears, but it's penetrating the, the gospel message that we're not innovative enough in the way that we present it. And I shared also in that the way Jesus shared the gospel out of Luke chapter 7, when he simply said, if you don't hate your father and mother, hate your brothers and sisters, and even hate your own life, you can't be my disciple. If you didn't come here to die, to let the old go so that you can let the new come, you can't be my disciple. You can't hang on to the old, try to seek for the new, and be my disciple. And I ask the question, how many have come here to die, to let the old go? Because what Jesus knows that we should all trust is that that old life is filled with chains and bondage and hurt and heartbreak. And let it go, let the old go, let it die, so that we can step into a life of promise. Not absent hurt, but filled with power. Not absent sadness, but filled with compassion and comfort. To let the old go and let the new come. I shared that with you, and a few days later, Jeremy sent me a note that I have something I want to send you. He said he thought of me as he read it, and so he sent it to me in an email. There's one section in here, all of it is tremendous. This is a letter that was written in August of 1963 after Martin Luther King and a group of people had a peaceful demonstration in Birmingham, Alabama, and because of the peaceful demonstration, he found himself in jail for several days. And as he says at the end of the letter, he didn't have anything better to do. He didn't have any desk to sit at or anything other than paper and pencil, and, but it is filled with purpose and filled with meaning. He wrote it from the Birmingham jail because of his participation in that nonviolent demonstration against segregation. It is powerful. You can tell, filled with passion he is, about what God established, what Thomas Jefferson wrote, that all men are created equal. The extremists that they were, that the extremists that Jesus was, as he broke down barriers as well. In one section of the letter, he says he wants to make two confessions. The first one is... He's expressing a, a frustration, but the second one is where I want to bring us tonight as I get into the message. This is the second of his disappointments. I have been disappointed with churches and their leadership. In the midst of a mighty struggle to rid our nation of racial and economic injustice, I have heard so many ministers say, those are social issues which the gospel has nothing to do with. And I've watched so many churches commit themselves to a completely otherworldly religion, which made a strange distinction between bodies and souls, the sacred and the secular. There was a time when the church was powerful. It was during that period that the early Christians rejoiced 
when they were deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was the thermostat that transformed the mores of society. Wherever the early Christians entered a town, the power structure got disturbed and immediately sought to convict them for being disturbers of the peace and outside agitators. But they went on with the conviction that there was a colony in heaven and had to obey God rather than man. They were small in number, but big in commitment. Things are different now. The contemporary church is often a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. It is so often the arch supporter of the status quo. Far from being disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's often vocal sanction of the things the way that they are. But the judgment of God is upon the church as never before. If the church of today does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authentic ring, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. I meet young people every day whose disappointment with the church has risen to outright disgust. I hope the church as a whole will meet the challenge of this decisive hour, but even if the church does not come to the aid of justice, I have no despair about the future. I have no fear about the outcome of our struggle in Birmingham. Even if our motives are presently misunderstood, we will reach the goal of freedom in Birmingham and all over the nation because the goal of America is freedom. Some powerful pictures, some powerful relevance within that story in 1963. Talking about a direction that the church was headed. The church that is somehow strangely supportive of the status quo and we realize that everywhere Jesus went, he's told an abrupt story. If you don't hate your father, if you don't hate your mother, if you don't hate your very life, you can't be my disciple. Everything that Jesus said challenged the status quo. Everything that Jesus mentioned took some part of life on. Life that had once been responsibility, he said, now should be based on love. On sacrifice, not on demanding your spiritual way. Challenge to the Pharisees, challenge to the, to the Sadducees, challenge to everyone as Jesus brought the truth and how he knew that it would set people free. Well, I want to just share very briefly the message because I, I want to just focus on one thing for just a minute. Why have we lost our relevance? We've talked about this in numerous ways, part of it because that message that Jesus shared as the gospel, that good news message is gone. We have learned to stand with one foot in the world and try to put one foot in the kingdom and somehow justify that that is somehow remarkably good, that we have one foot firmly fixed in the kingdom to assure ourselves of the reality of heaven, but we find great comfort in the things that the world has to offer and what God is saying, I know the bondage that that creates. And until you're willing to die and let the old pass away, the new cannot come. And Jesus made it very clear. So the question comes again, why has the church lost its relevance within our world? Why are we so amazingly unable to find a way within this culture? And I do believe in innovation in the church. I do believe that God is, has a creative mind. I don't believe it has to be the way that it always was. I think it was probably even a, maybe a shock to Jesus, I don't know, as he's standing there preaching in this home and realizes that the tile of the ceiling are being taken off. It took innovation 
for those people to bring this man who was lame before Jesus. And I don't believe for a second that God is offended by the fact that he established in us creativity and innovation so that we can understand how to deliver the message, but recognizing that the message itself never changes. The gospel message never changes. So God has a plan, and it's working all things to his good, no matter what we see, no matter how much despair we have, no matter how many questions. And the word over this community, the word over the school, that has been the word revival. It's time. It's time to see the old die and the new to come. And who's going to bring it? If the faithful of this community, the Christian people of this community, aren't willing to stand in the name of revival, of bringing new life to this community, revival will not come. We can't expect it out of the lost world. We can't expect it out of the lukewarm world. It has to be those whose passion is true for God and for Jesus Christ. So we don't despair. We pray. We ask God to give us his plan, to show us his purpose. And how do we move in this community? Again, I wish I could go down this list. I wish I could share with you some of the things that have come to my heart, stories that I have seen or heard, things that I have seen personally that cause this level of concern to just shoot from the top of my head. Significant things that tell us that this is the hour. If we don't rise, if Christian students don't rise in the name of Jesus, not to make a show, but because they feel compulsion within their hearts. If the teachers who are Christians don't recognize the power of their testimony and the reality of their witness, the leadership to recognize the direction that they have to set, the example and the witness that they have to establish, it's going to be difficult, but it doesn't begin over there. As strange as it sounds, revival doesn't begin over there. It begins in here. It has to start in the, in the heart of the individual because if we don't want it, they won't take it. If we don't have anything to offer in the name of Jesus that is powerful and full of revival, why would the world have a desire for it? Lost men don't seek him. That's a misconception. Lost men don't seek him. They will look everywhere else, but it's God who goes and finds them, who offers himself to them. Here's one of the issues and probably in a long list of many, as to why the church has lost its relevance. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. I'll begin with verse 10. And the significant message that I want us to land on is verse 15, but I want to read this entire passage. Verse 10. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil or turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are opened unto their prayers. Raises an immediate question about who are the righteous. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you? If you be followers of that which is good... But, and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are you. That was what Martin Luther King was saying. We've lost that sacrificial spirit. Our faith cost us very little. He says, happy are you, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify, set aside the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear having a good conscience that 
whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ also has once suffered for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. One of the sad realities of the Christian church today falls in that verse 15. He says, but sanctify the Lord in your hearts. Set aside the Lord in your hearts. And be ready always to give an answer, to give a report to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you. And do it with meekness and fear. Now this is one of those statements. This is one of those points that almost seems insignificant in our story today. But here's the reality. How many of us, when a question comes about the hope that someone, and I hope that they could see that in us, this verse actually goes with the expectation that we're living a life where hope would be recognized and we would be living in such a way that our testimony would share that with somebody else so that they could come and ask the question and say, where does that hope come from? And it says, always be ready. Always be ready to give that report. Always be ready to tell. Where does that hope come from? What stirs it in you? How, how come it's recognizable to the world? And here's the sad commentary. Most of us don't have a personal testimony of faith that we could immediately turn to and say, the reason that I have the hope that I do is because this is my life before the Father. This is my life in the Spirit. This is what God means to me. This is what God has done in me. This is what God has done through me. And we lack a personal testimony of power, of witness, of passion, of love, of God's extravagance. And we have absolutely nothing to say to the world who ask us about hope. Nothing to say. Because we can't say, I had this revelation and this is what God showed me. In obedience I did it and this was the evidence of what God has done. We lack those testimonies. Why? Because we don't have the revelations. We miss the revelations. We don't believe that God speaks. He may speak to somebody else, but he doesn't speak to me. Not true. Absolutely not true. How many of us can say right now, I know I have a personal testimony of when I was studying in God's word, when I had it in my hands. And God began to speak to me, not just because I was reading and taking in knowledge, but the Holy Spirit began to explode this within my life. And, and I can say that I was reading in this passage on this day when the Holy Spirit said, and share that as a testimony of hope and promise. How many of us can say that I was standing here or driving there, or I was in this office and God revealed something, in, in obedience I did it, and this was the salvation, this was the power, this was the changed life. I sat with someone not too long ago, but I had a revelation that I needed to share with this person. And I knew as I went in, I had to say more than just speak the revelation. So as I sat down with this person, I, I said, I need to tell you something. I have a revelation that, that God has shown me this specifically for you. But before I do, I need to share something else. So I went through three or four stories of other times when God had spoken, of other times when God had revealed something. And how in obedience we did, or I did, or whoever was involved, how in obedience we responded to what we saw and the magnificence of what God had done. And this person just would sit there and say, wow, wow. What was all that early stuff about? All that evidence that I was bringing, what was that about? Because I wanted the one that I was going to give him to have relevance 
so that he also expected a supernatural reality coming out of this revelation. Not just that I was going to tell him something, but it had an expectation tied to it of something supernatural and powerful. What if you don't have those testimonies? What if you don't have that personal witness? What you end up doing is saying, this is what happened to somebody else, let me tell you. No, it doesn't work that way. They want to know, why do you have the hope that you have? Yes, it's important to have gained knowledge from this word because this is the revelation of God. We should know it and we should be able to tell these stories as part of our truth, as part of our testimony. We should know them. I don't know where they all are, but I can tell you many stories from this and find the relevance in the moment. But I also have to say that I I have received the Logos word. With it, I received the Rhema word, God speaking. Why has the church lost its relevance? It's because the individual members have lost their testimonies. They have to tell the testimony of what they read or what's happened to someone else and have very few stories to tell about this is what happened in my personal journey, in my personal adventure, in my personal story, my witness before the Father. So interesting to, to hear Sherry stand here and speak a few weeks ago on a Sunday night and to tell her story because it was filled with moments when the Holy Spirit spoke and filled with those moments when in obedience she did what she was supposed to do, even being pushed to the floor to pray when she decided she wasn't going to and to see a sister-in-law transformed. That's a testimony that is very fixed in Sherry's heart. She doesn't have to come up with another one. That's her story of what God did in that hospital room and the voice that spoke and the way that he spoke and for her to, to silence a phone reading these scriptures and reading it, all of a sudden it comes on, it's reading it to her out loud when she doesn't touch anything, but it starts reading to her out loud in that hospital room. That's her story. It's powerful. It will allow people to connect and say, wow, that stirs hope in me. Maybe there's a possibility for me. If we're going to restore relevance within a world that doesn't know God, we better have a story of our own so that we can tell them the reason that there's hope is because that God that you read about, that God I'm telling you about, this is what he did last week, this is what he's done this morning, this is the difference that he's made, and have a story to tell. And there's only one way to have it. That's to step into the fullness of the reality of God in the Spirit, begin to listen, begin to see him, seek him, obey him, and I promise you the story will unfold very quickly. You won't have to wait long for the testimony to build. Because when you seek the Holy Spirit first, you pick up that Bible, you start reading, the Holy Spirit will begin to not shout. But I want to tell you, it will come to life. It won't be words you read. It will be words released into your story. And then you can say, I was reading the Bible last night and the Holy Spirit began to speak to me. Not I read, not I learned. The Holy Spirit spoke to me and this is the truth that he revealed. I had a couple in my office recently and they were sitting side by side and things were tense. They were having a difficult day with each other. And all of a sudden, in my sight, they moved just like this, front and back. And I couldn't tell who was front and back because the picture that he gave me was that there was one heart beating straight through both of them. The sadness, the brokenness of their life was Satan stealing that picture. And to be able to speak to them, this is what God just showed me about you. I didn't come up with that. That wasn't something I imagined. That was watching them and them in front of me lining up like that with one heart, pumping right straight through both of them. And I told them the future that God has for you is amazing and wonderful, and Satan is desperately trying to steal it. 
by the conflict he's creating between you. He does it every single day. Find a personal story. Don't be satisfied to live with another day without a personal story. Seek him. He wants to be found. He's not in hiding. He's not trying to be secretive. He wants to talk to you. He wants to talk to you tonight. Let him tell you a story. Let him show you something. Be obedient and your testimony, the powerful one, will really begin. Lord, we come to you tonight just to ask you. It doesn't matter that there's just a few here because this is enough people to change the world. This is enough. Lord, we just thank you that we can actually come before you and say, this is what happened. This is where the revelation came. This is where I had the vision. This is the dream that I had. This is the word that I heard. This is what I saw in my mind's eye. This is what happened when I was obedient. These are the lives that were changed. This is the difference that you have made, that we have a story to tell because we will never be relevant without one. We will never be relevant in the world as a church collective if individually we don't have stories to tell. We don't have a testimony to share of what you're doing and how you're doing it and the amazing reality of it. I pray, Lord, that we would be ready at every moment to give that report, to share with anyone who comes the reason for our hope, the reason for our lives and that we will be ready every time in Jesus' name. Amen.